saw it, and it made me hungry a little bit. Uh, It is good to be with you. It's actually really good to have uh, Katie and Tylan here. I'm so glad you came. Uh, Something that they may not have impressed uh, that I want to impress upon you is, uh, well, a number of weeks ago now, uh, we had uh, Julia Wallace, who was a former uh, intern here, uh, and and she spoke, and and, um, we support uh, them through the BGAV. And uh, the BGAV supports uh, Julia Wallace and her husband. Uh, the navigators don't work quite the same way. Every mission organization is, is slightly different. And uh, so, uh, well, Tylan and Katie uh, are raising support. And uh, I just simply want to say uh, that if you feel compelled to support them, if you have some sort of relationship with them, especially, uh, they're doing good work, uh, have been doing good work, will do good work, uh, and uh, they would love, uh, I mean, even something like moving expenses is, is something that they have to uh, raise support for. And so uh, as you leave today, uh, they'll be out there. Uh, you can certainly uh, get their, um, their, their mailers, and, and that's a good thing too. They certainly need your prayer, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, but, but they also could use your, your financial support if that is something you feel led to do. And I, I'd encourage you to just ponder that and, and maybe pray about that during this service uh, right now. Um, today... <clears throat> I want to begin uh, in a place that kind of gets at, it's a little askew of of where the sermon is going, but uh, I want to start with uh, a study that came out this week uh, about the effects of COVID on churches. And I kind of want to speak to the fact of where we are as a South Run Baptist Church, maybe in relation to where other churches in the nation are, uh, and spend just a a brief amount of time uh, at the very beginning uh, here uh, to talk about that. And uh, the study is, is quite extensive and comprehensive. Uh, the most comprehensive study to this point is done by the Hartford Institute for Religious Research. Uh, I actually encourage you to look this up uh, and to, to read it yourself. The study is titled Exploring the Pandemic Impact on Congregations. And as I said, it's the largest study to date on the effects of COVID on congregational life. We are all feeling this, have been feeling this uh, for quite a while now, uh, and um, I found it actually encouraging, uh, and here's why. is Our church is, is very average uh, in the sense of uh, how uh, we uh, have been impacted by COVID-19 uh, for the last uh, year and a half or so. And uh, in that, in one specific, or a few specific ways actually, um, one, uh, it, it turns out that the, the churches uh, that went hybrid early on, rather than either going all online or, or uh, all uh, in person, uh, had some sort of hybrid model, they, they did the best, uh, or they fared the best. Um, and I want to give a big shout out to, to the folks in the booth uh, who, uh, on a regular basis, uh, have poured out far more than any of us can even imagine uh, to make uh, our services available both in person and online. Thank you. A way in which uh, we are, quote, average uh, as a church uh, in in this respect is that um, 
what happened with all churches is, of course, uh, there was an enormous decline. Uh, and we saw that, right, in numbers on Sunday morning. And then there was kind of this steady uh, coming back. And I, every week, every Monday morning, uh, I get an email from Laura Menzi who sends me uh, the numbers that Allison Donnelly has uh, collected of who's in the service on a Sunday morning and who's downstairs. Uh, and if we charted it on a graph, what you would see is like this slow growth back to normalcy. We're not quite at normalcy, which it turns out most churches are not, uh, but we're getting there. We're on our way as far as uh, numbers of people in the service and online, actually, too. Uh, and so uh, that is a wonderful thing to see. But we're also normal in one other way, uh, and that is, and this is something I've felt personally uh, and been thinking about for quite a while. You've probably felt it, uh, but may not have thought about it. And so often we judge, um, you know, the success or failure of a church based on uh, how many people are in the pews on a Sunday morning. But let's be honest, that's not all of church, right? That's not what it means to be a church body. Uh, in fact, there are many, many ministries that go on throughout the week at various points during the year, and what happened with COVID-19 uh, is it's, it wasn't just the Sunday morning that was affected. There's all these other ministries that kind of went dormant for a while, right? And then what has begun to happen is some of them are, are coming back online, uh, and some of them are being revived. Some of them are changing altogether. Um, and then um, what we're finding and, and what uh, the study also found is that it's a little difficult to get people back into the, uh, the habits of, of doing church life regularly. Uh, we've been out of it for a while, and, and maybe we've found some other things to do or other ways to use our time. Uh, and, and as yeah, I get it, I, I, I do. Um, but I do want to encourage you, uh, as we begin to build these new habits and, and prayerfully move uh, out of COVID, completely out of COVID, someday uh, as, as the vaccines uh, continue to ramp up and we get closer and closer uh, to whatever that number is we're trying to reach, 100%, I guess. Well, um, I, there will be a, a time in which what happens here, not just on a Sunday morning, uh, but throughout the week, will we'll look increasingly normal, and that's a, a good thing. Uh, but I would also say this, it, it requires some of you coming back uh, and, and maybe doing some ministries that you had either done before or, or maybe some of the new ministries that are beginning to pop up uh, and finding your way uh, back into church life, not just, again, on a Sunday morning, uh, but throughout the week, throughout various times of the year. And I, I think that's a good thing. So the, the study concludes uh, with this, and, and it makes a prediction, which is always, especially in these times, uh, dangerous, but I, I think they're close uh, to something here. Uh, so I'm just going to read the, their conclusion. They say, attendance will continue to uh, uh, continue below pre-pandemic levels for quite some time. But it is apparent in the data that hope is not lost and a solid percentage of churches are beginning to rebound and even thrive. And just so you know, that is my prayer for South Run Baptist Church. I hope it's your prayer too, is that we don't just rebound, but 
that we actually thrive, that life beyond the pandemic is actually more full of life uh, and is more vibrant in the church than it was even pre-pandemic. This is what we're all aiming for, right? It goes on. It says, the true task facing pastors and lay leaders. So that's me, and that's literally every one of you. If you're a good Baptist, you believe in lay leadership. And lay simply means the people in the pews. Your leadership matters. And so the task facing pastors and lay leaders is that of reminding disconnected members of the benefits of spiritual education, the joy of being in community together, and the richness of fellowship with other believers. If we do this, it is quite likely that many parishioners will return, whether it is in person or online worship. One of the things they note, and is something that is high on my priority list, uh, on the priority list of the council, uh, I mentioned it last Sunday in the business meeting that went quite a long time, uh, is, is this, is that we as a church, we want to strengthen and support one another. We, we want to begin to put the web uh, of community and fellowship back together so that when you walk in these doors, you have this sense of belonging here that you know, yeah, this is, this is where I belong. I need to be here because when I'm here, the presence of the Lord is among us and the body of believers is supporting us. And so that also is my prayer for the coming weeks, for the coming year. Uh, and I know it's the prayer of our council as well, and we will be moving to those ends. Last week, we even started right, I, I think, certainly with the fellowship piece of all of this, and, and that is uh, we had a wonderful event. If you missed it, you missed it, because uh, it was great. Uh, we, we even had a dunk tank where some poor sap was stuck getting thrown into the cold water for about... 10 minutes until <laughs> he couldn't take it anymore. No, we, we, we had a wonderful time, uh, but we, we really messed something up. <clears throat> and I want to apologize. We didn't pray before uh, the chili cook-off, which is what my sermon is about today. It's about breaking bread together. And it's about prayer. And it's about thanksgiving and it's about taking that time before we eat, uh, we, we, we'll see this in our scripture today, where we just pause and we thank God for that which we have. And we have a lot, right? We have a lot. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we, we take a deep breath and we thank you. We thank you for this new day, for this opportunity together. We thank you for the body of Christ that ministers to one another. We thank you for South Run Baptist Church that has ministered to me and to my family and to so many families. Lord, uh, I pray that in this time together right now, that you be among us that you send your spirit into our hearts, and that you speak a word to us, Lord, and that you convict us. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
So for the next two weeks, today and, and next week, uh, I want to talk about gratitude, Thanksgiving, because believe it or not, if you're not ready for it, Thanksgiving is less than two weeks away. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming up. So make, make your plans uh, <laughs> if you haven't yet. <clears throat> um, Greg Giddens, who's not here this morning, uh, he started our, our most recent council meeting uh, with a devotional uh, on Thanksgiving and on gratitude. And here's how devotionals normally go in a council meeting and in, in a lot of meetings. Uh, there's about five minutes of the devotional. Uh, it concludes, and then there's a period of about 30 seconds of silence, and then we, then we go on. And then, uh, which is not to say that the, anything about the, the devotional itself, it's just this is kind of how it goes. This was different, however. There, there's something about gratitude, uh, if you've ever had conversations about gratitude, uh, that actually it, it kind of like self-propels itself. Uh, and it, uh, it, so the conversation began to bud, and we, we probably talked for another five minutes, uh, uh, just simply about uh, the positive effects of gratitude, about the importance of gratitude, uh, about gratitude in scripture, uh, about gratitude in our personal lives. Um, and at the end of those sorts of conversations, you always walk away feeling better, right? And so for the next two weeks, I, I, I do want to talk about gratitude. Um, specifically today, though, uh, I, I found something in Scripture, and uh, I wanted to share it with you. I uh, didn't anticipate finding this in Scripture. It may be obvious to you. Maybe things that are uh, profound to me uh, are obvious to others, so it's possible this is the case. And if it is, just bear with me. Uh, I, I actually think there's something to this one. Uh, so I was looking for passages on uh, giving thanks and on gratitude, uh, generally speaking, and I came across the f this fact that... Um, that we have these passages that over and over again uh, speak to uh, somebody uh, taking bread and thanking God with that piece of bread and then breaking it and then distributing it, right? Uh, and this happens actually any number of times uh, in our New Testament. Um, and so there's this, uh, there's this model that's set for us uh, in Scripture as to stopping before we eat and giving thanks uh, to the one who gave us this bread, this meal that we're about to participate in together. I brought with me uh, some show and tell this morning. This sits on my, uh, my tabletop in, on my, uh, uh, my table in my living room, or my dining room, rather. Uh, and uh, the, the pumpkin itself is a mere decoration hiding the, <laughs> broke it, I knew that would happen, hiding what's inside, peekaboo, uh, and inside is this, uh, it's, a, it's a cube uh, that has uh, six prayers on it, uh, and much like actually uh, what Lori Sechrist, uh, w one of the prayers that she prayed, I believe is directly on here, it's, a, it's, uh, it's prayers uh, for, for food. And here's what I found interesting uh, as I prepared for today 
And then as I went back, I've had this for years. Uh, I got this actually at a monastery in Kentucky uh, that I went to um, not too soon before coming here. Uh, it was actually a pivotal moment in my journey uh, to South Run Baptist Church. So there is a connection here. Uh, anyway, and so uh, we've had this in our house for years. And there's, there's something about every single one of these prayers, all six, uh, that connect to Scripture. And that is... Uh, they are primarily focused on one of two things, either blessing or thanksgiving, which happens to be uh, exactly how our scriptures describe uh, the prayer that often happens before uh, the eating. It's either a blessing or a, a thanksgiving. And so uh, just to read a few to you, uh, some options uh, for our dinner time go like this. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from your bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. You've probably heard that one. It's a famous one. Or thank you. Here's the thank you. Thank you for the earth so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. Or here's another blessing. God, bless this food we are about to receive. Give bread to those who hunger, and hunger for charity and justice to us who have bread. It goes on. They all have some kind of thanksgiving or some kind of blessing tied to them. And they're very simple prayers, right? Which I actually kind of like. Because uh, most evenings, by the time uh, I'm at the end of my day, and we have food on the table, I'm ready for a simple prayer. <laughs> Let me share with you some of what I found in Scripture, though. So, uh, from our passage today, it was an odd passage, the New Testament one, anyway. Uh, did you catch that part? It, it, uh, if you don't know the context of it, it's especially odd. It's at the end of Acts 27. Uh, if you'd like, you're welcome to turn there. I'll describe the scene uh, in Acts 27. Uh, this is at the end of Paul's journey. It's toward the end of uh, the book of Acts, and... Paul has been arrested, uh, tried, he's being uh, now moved uh, to Rome, and he's on a boat. And uh, he warns uh, the people on the boat uh, that uh, a storm is coming and that they should go a different route, but they didn't go that different route. And they instead, uh, they hit the storm, uh, and the boat is uh, for 14 days under threat of this storm, and, and they're afraid everybody's going to die uh, and uh, we uh, get to the end of it, and Paul says, he kind of calms the crowd there, and he says, don't worry, an angel of the Lord came to me, and, and we are not going to die. Nothing bad is going to happen. And for 14 days, they didn't eat. And, uh, and so, in the passage for today, we, we find this. He says, as, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today's the 14th day, that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And here's the key line that I kept coming back to again and again. When he had said these things, he, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and he began to eat. That's Paul on this journey. He's in the midst of chaos 
He takes a moment to stop, to thank God, to pray before he eats. Well, there's other examples. There's the feeding of the 4,000. There's a few versions of this in your New Testament. Uh, I'll read one from Matthew 15. It goes like this, in directing the crowd, so Jesus has the crowd there, and he, he says, sit down on the ground, and then it says in verse 36, he took the seven loaves, again, he takes the loaf and the fish, and having given thanks, he gives thanks, he, he broke them, there's the breaking again, and then uh, he gave them to the disciples, right? And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And so, again, we have the the taking of the bread, we have the giving the thanks for the bread, we have the breaking of the bread, and we have the distribution of the bread. Feeding of the 5,000. Different story, by the way. Uh, Same thing happens. In this time, John chapter 6, Jesus, he takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And then later on in that same story, that same chapter, interestingly enough, as uh, it's being described where they were, in verse 23, it says, Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread. And then it specifies very specifically, after the Lord had given thanks, right? There's something about the the taking of the bread and the importance of of the giving thanks for it and then eating and distributing. Or again, on the road to Emmaus, do you know this story at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke? Uh, This is after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is walking with these two men. The two men, for some reason, don't recognize who Jesus is. Uh, They invite Jesus into their home. And then this happens. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it this time. He blessed it and didn't give thanks, but he blessed it. And he broke it and then he gave it to them, right? It's these four parts over and over. He takes the bread, gives thanks, or he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he, and he passes it out. Paul, I've got a few more examples here uh, from Paul. These are uh, a little, I'll let you look them up on your own because they're a little tougher to describe, but if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, toward the end of it, Paul talks about the need to partake of food with thankfulness. And he even says at the end of it all, why am I denounced for eating certain kinds of food when I gave thanks for it. There's something, again, about the giving of thanks, that, that it's important to do this. Or in 1 Timothy 4, it's similar. Romans 14, 6 is similar. So what? What does any of this matter, right? Uh, some of you, I have learned, like really practical sermons. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sometimes I admit I can get abstract and I can, uh, I, can, I can sound a little more like a professor and less like a preacher. Uh, apologies, but sorry, not sorry, right? Uh, today, today's is super practical, right? I'm, I'm really imploring you to do one thing. Actually, maybe two things. The two things would be to eat together. Eat with each other especially families, 
if you're part of a family, eat together. And when you do, stop and pray. Stop and give thanks. Pause. So the first one, families eating together. Uh, there's all sorts of data out there, right? Even uh, the, 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 the ardent secularists actually recognize that eating together on a regular basis is great for children. It builds family bonds together. We have opportunity to communicate and to understand what has happened in your day. And, well, I get to tell you what's happened in my day. And I need to know what has happened in my children's day. And, I, and, we, and we talk this way. We, we break the bread together, and we converse, and, and we get to know one another. And it turns out there are things I still don't know about my own spouse that I learn from breaking bread and eating together. There are still things I don't know about my own children that I learn and that I love to learn, that we get opportunity because we break bread together on a regular basis. It allows us to do practical things like make plans for tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next year, right? It even, this one blew me away, promotes better grades. Did you know this? It turns out uh, that the research or studies show, that's a classic line there, studies show, <laughs> Uh, that kids who eat with their family less than three times a week were twice as likely to report receiving C's or worse in school, and kids who ate with family five to seven times per week did much better, reporting mostly A's and B's. And then the tagline of uh, this was, either your lasagna is genius food, or dinner time is the perfect time to make sure they've done their homework. <laughs> I do believe, however, that breaking bread is a ritualized opportunity for connection. It's a ritualized opportunity for connection. And I know in Baptist circles, ritual equals bad, typically, but not always. Certain rituals are actually really, really important. And I think if you uh, put into your bag of rituals the regular eating with one another. Again, whether as a family or maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's like once a week you, you say to a friend, you know what, we should do breakfast together every Tuesday morning uh, in perpetuity, right? You will find that that time together will become sacred time together. There's something about the breaking of bread, the eating together, and the connection that happens in those moments. But what about the praying? The praying part. This is, by the way, what prompted it all, right? Uh, praying before meals. I, I think praying before meals, even if it feels forced or like you're just going through the motions, will create, as Lori so rightly said, habits. Habits. Ingrained habits. And our habits create us. Who you are is what you do on a regular basis. And here again, um, well, let me just start with uh, a note of honesty. So when we do eat together 
and it's at the end of a long day, and we're trying to go here and there and everywhere. It's not like these prayers in this box are some sort of uh, magical uh, thing, or and it's, and it's not like uh, the, uh, the the heavens open and and the presence of God is just felt in my family uh, every single Tuesday night. Uh, that's not how it works, right? Sometimes uh, I frankly say, Ezra, please say the blessing. <laughs> because I don't want to right now, right? Uh, or, uh, or it's actually usually Ezra, frankly, who says, uh, we, we should pray before we eat, right? And, uh, and that's a great thing. That I've got my kids holding me accountable and making sure that we stop. Sometimes it's frankly, it's not even the words. It's just the stopping. And it's the pausing. And... And 30 seconds of silence in a crazy day actually can be quite inspirational. They can be some of the most God-filled seconds of that day. And then it's a palate cleanser for the conversation and the connection that is about to happen at that table, right? So why, again, going back to the practical sermon, why give thanks before meals? I've got a a few things. One, I've already mentioned it's scriptural. We find Jesus and Paul doing it on regular occasion. It's a way to add gratitude and, and thanks to your daily life. And giving thanks is good for your soul. And it turns out it's actually good for your emotional well-being too. And it's good for a lot of things. And if you can add giving thanks to a regular uh, diet, so to speak, uh, uh, of what you do on a daily basis, I assure you, this is worth doing. It's a way to add blessing, the other word here. It's a way to add blessing into your daily life. We bless the hands who make the food, or we bless those who do do not have the food. We bless ourselves to the service of the Lord. I do believe there's power in blessing. Kendall, every day as, she, as the kids go out the door uh, on their way to school, she prays a prayer of blessing over them. Lord, bless you and keep you. Right? Number six. And then she says, have a good Sangster day. <laughs> it's a little blessing ritual. And I think it's beautiful, and I think it's wonderful, and I think we should be doing more of this. I I think praying before a meal forces us to slow down. It forces us to take that breath, and it reminds us of the power of silence. But the key to it all, I do believe, is that regular dinner prayer turns our gaze toward the giver of all good gifts. It reminds us that the food that sits on the table would only be there or is only there because of the one who gives it to us. Even for those of us who, who know we work really hard for that food, and, and we, we have worked ourselves uh, down to a nub, and, and this is the result of it, right? But the fact is, there is more behind that, isn't there? 
I remember the first time uh, I was living in Alabama, we grew a garden. And we grew okra and cucumber and uh, tomatoes and jalapenos, and we had all kinds of things in that garden, and it was wonderful. And I realized, wow, this is almost magical. <laughs> I've spent 35 years of my life thinking that, uh, well, food just shows up in a grocery store somewhere and not appreciating uh, just what uh, nature and God is capable of doing of its own device, right? That this seed, when you stick it in the ground and put some water on it, it turns into more food. Does that not feel like magic to you? That's still, to this day, that feels like magic to me. There is one more thing. Some of you should have seen this coming. If you didn't, maybe you don't know your scripture well enough. But the Lord's Supper, what we're taking today, it too talks about the taking of the bread and the giving of the thanks and the breaking of that bread and the giving it to people. And so in Luke 22, Jesus takes the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. And then he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We, as Baptists, we you use the word, the Lord's Supper, to describe this. Some people talk about it as communion, also a great word. Uh, the fanciest of all words is the Eucharist. Eucharist is a good Greek word, simply meaning Thank you. Thanks. When we take the Eucharist, when we take the Lord's Supper, we give thanks because Christ's body was broken for us and distributed to us that we might have life. Let's pray right now as we prepare for that. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we do give you thanks. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, poured out for us, broken for us, that we might have life. We give you thanks for the Holy Spirit, which was poured out into our hearts, that we might be more like you. And so, Lord, we come this morning and we remind ourselves. We take and we eat and we do this in remembrance of you, in remembrance of what you've done for us. Let us do that now. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.